Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program is Jonathan Farrington. He is a globally recognized business coach, mentor, author, consultant, and sales thought leader. He is the senior partner at Jonathan Farrington and Associates, chairman of the JF Corporation, and CEO of Top Sales Associates based in London and Paris. Jonathan, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much indeed, Jim. It's always a great pleasure. Last time we had Jonathan on the program, we talked about the death of salespeople, the sales profession in 2020, where by 2020, 80% of the salespeople in America will be out of a job, and the top 10% will actually be inside salespeople. That's a pretty brash prediction, but if you want to listen to that podcast, it is available on our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That is what I call the distant future, even though 2020 is not that far away. We spent a a lot of time exploring it with Jonathan and some very insightful thought behind that. So I'd encourage you to go out to biztalkradioshow.com and download that podcast. Today we're talking about the near future, which is the next 12 months, some of the challenges facing our sales organizations. And Jonathan has come up with what he calls the five critical challenges facing sales organizations over the next 12 months. Well, Jonathan, uh, we've had the election over here in the States, and of course the economy is going to be booming and buyers are going to be throwing money at us and everything will be uh, hunky-dory, as we say. Is that, that, that one of your predictions in 2013, or did I miss that somewhere? <laughs> Yeah, and then then you woke up and the alarm clock went off. Yeah, the alarm clock went off, and I said, oh, back to work. (laughs) Well, you know, there's there's a myriad of challenges that face organizations, and we could spend hours on the program, and I wish we had time to do that. And I appreciate the fact that you've narrowed it down to what I call, or you call, the the top five critical challenges. And those those challenges, we'll just take them in sequence that you've identified them here. And challenge number one is finding opportunities. And, of course, somebody out there may listen to me say, well, gosh, that's always a challenge. But elaborate just a little bit further on why finding opportunities made your number one challenge in the next 12 months. Jim, I think the reality is, and I proved this to myself last year, about this time last year, so towards the end of November, I published a white paper called How to Create an Achievable Business Development Strategy. Now, it was my my sort of expectation that this would get sort of downloaded during the latter part of November and in December, when you would think most people would be formally planning what they hope to achieve in the coming 12 months. And it was indeed downloaded during November and December, but nowhere near to the degree that it was downloaded in January, February, and March. And I actually found that, whilst, whilst it was very flattering, I actually found it quite alarming, because what that was telling us is that people were actually constructing a business development strategy for 2012 a quarter of the way through the year, which I found astounding, as I say. 
I mean, the whole point of having a strategy well in advance of the upcoming 12 months is so that you've got a plan. If we don't have a plan, how can we benchmark our performance? And, you know, that is, it, that is really what I'm finding. So it's, it, it, yes, of course, finding new opportunities has always been a challenge ever since salespeople began to sell. And topping up that hopper with new opportunities is an absolutely vital part of the three major selling skills. But it's no good just doing it willy-nilly. You know, it's kind of like, well, if we throw enough mud at the wall, some of it's bound to eventually stick. And I think for mud, you could probably read resource. And this is a kind of quixotic mantra that, you know, have a, have a tilted enough windmills and we're bound to knock one over. And life isn't like that. Selling time is limited and it's becoming more limited. And unless we approach the attainment of new business in a structured, formalized and planned way, we're wasting so much time. Well, Jonathan, you know, listening to what you're talking about, so is it fair to say that the challenge is the challenge of having a plan of systematically how you're going to do it because the opportunities always exist. So maybe it's not lack of opportunities, but our ability to organize a structured approach to getting at the opportunities. That's absolutely right. I mean, yes, I know people will look back over the last five years and, and they'll reflect on the most dire financial meltdown in commercial history. And they'll say, well, look, opportunities dried up during that phase. Yes, they, they, they didn't dry up. People will always buy if there's a good enough reason to buy. They didn't dry up. There were just less of them. And as we start to see the shoots of regrowth beginning to happen now, more and more opportunities will be there in front of us. But it's our ability to get there ahead of the competitors in a disciplined, organized, and planned way that will determine our success. We've got to know what business we want. I mean, those emerging salespeople in particular that believe that all business is good business, I mean, are obviously totally erroneous. It takes just as long to work a, a non-winnable opportunity through the pipeline as it does a winnable opportunity. We've got to know where, where we want to go. So the, the, the key words for us, in my opinion, when looking at our business development strategy. Uh, and Rudyard Kipling said this very well. He said, I have five good friends and true. They are why, what, where, when, and who. And that is so, so true. So, you know, any organization that's setting out a business development strategy or setting out a plan, however informally, for the next 12 months, has got to know where they're going, They've got to know why they're going there. They've got to know who they're targeting. And they've got to create what I call an ideal customer profile. They've got to know the type of customer that they're most likely to win that's going to give them the most profit and is going to give them that is probably going to be willing to create an ongoing relationship to create incremental revenue. It's direction and focus. So in the absence of that, you're confusing if you don't have that, you're confusing activity with accomplishment. Absolutely. We can all be busy fools, Jim. <laughs> you see me work sometime. <laughs> 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 I, I told my, my wife the other day, I said, see, 
she said, well, how'd your day go, honey? And I said, man, as I was just exhausted, was super busy. She said, well, what'd you get done? I said, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing of importance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, but just listening to you, it, it's so commonsensical. So in your opinion, if you could, why don't sales leaders have a formalized plan? It's so obvious when we hear you talk about it. What's preventing us from doing this? Well, the answer to that, Jim, sadly, and and I genuinely mean that, sadly, is because sales leaders haven't been trained in those types of skills. And, you know, I don't want to sort of overemphasize this because I know a little later on, in, in fact, very shortly in this conversation, one of the challenges that I do highlight is the absolute importance of strong sales leadership. But, you know, the short answer to that is sales managers and sales leaders are not trained, they're not experienced in strategy. And, you know, it's, it, it is actually, if you think about it, it's self-perpetuating. The majority of sales leaders and sales managers today behave in the same way that their manager behaved when they managed them. Yep, fair enough. I think that's a pretty spot-on answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jonathan, let's move on to challenge number two. And you call this sales enablement. What part of our sales efforts need to be enabled? happened, I mean, earlier on in this conversation, we were talking about the financial meltdown. Not unnaturally, every company on the planet almost were looking at ways of cutting costs. One of the first things to go will always be sales training. And one of the main reasons for that is is because, quite simply, on any balance sheet, personnel development appears as a cost. So if you're a stakeholder or a shareholder, and you're looking down the annual accounts or even the quarterly accounts, and you see personal development, personnel development, it always goes in a cost, as a cost, with no tangible return on that investment. So it was one of the first things that got struck off. Now, you and I are having this conversation now. It's almost the end of November. Within eight weeks, companies like Chally and Sales Benchmark Index and co sales insights will be producing their 2012 salespeople reports and what they're going to report i can i can reveal is that at least 48% and probably up to 51% of salespeople during 2012 will not have hit quota so it begs the question were the targets set too high well possibly in some cases where companies were hoping to claw back some of that revenue and gross margin that they they were down on the last five years. That's possible. Will they blame a continuing flatlined economy? Possibly. I think it's more likely that expectation was unrealistic. And, And I think that's simply because we are now experiencing the knock on effect of not providing our sales teams with all of the weapons and the skills that they need to fight the war. There are companies who, who I know for a fact, not my clients, I should tell you, but I know of companies who have not invested in training for between five and ten years. And then they're wondering why their salespeople are failing. It's simply because they're not enabling them to succeed. And there's ample evidence to suggest from ASTD 
that for every dollar spent on appropriate, and I mean, I've got to emphasize the word appropriate, Jim, and relevant sales team development, you should expect a return of $100. Well, frankly, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? You would think so. For every dollar you spend, you get that kind of return. Again, I asked the obvious, so what's preventing our people, our sales leaders, from making that type of investment? Well, they haven't got the money. They're saying they haven't got the money. And <laughs> what I find, if it wasn't so sad, it would be amusing that when you pull up in front of these companies and you've got a meeting with them and they tell you they've got no money to spend on sales team development, look around the car park and see how many bright, shiny Mercedes and BMWs. Um, you know, go and have a word with the CFO. I guarantee you, it's quite often I find they've spent, you know, recently spent $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 on a brand-new accounting system. When when will these people realize that, you know, if you don't sell anything, there is absolutely no point in having these incredibly efficient accounting systems because there won't be any invoices to put through them. We have to start with the sales team. The sales team are our forward line. And you can use a footballing analogy. You know, if the forward line aren't scoring, we're never going to win a game. It's no good having great, a great defense. That is not going to score you points. It's not going to put points on the board. The sales team are the, are the engine room of any company. And it has become a well-used platitude almost, hasn't it? You know, nothing happens until somebody sells something. I mean, I think I prefer nothing happens until somebody buys something. But that's the reality. And, and I hope that as we come through all of this, you know, this, this economic downturn, people, companies, again, will refocus on the importance of their sales team because it is the most important function in the entire company. Yes, yeah, they generate the revenue that creates the oxygen that feeds the organization, as I always say. And I was listening to an interview the other day with Warren Buffett. Mm. And uh, people say, you know, they ask the, you know, he always gets this question every interview. What should I be investing in? (laughs) (laughs) And Warren pauses for a second and he says, yourself. Yeah. He said, don't invest in anything else until you've invested in yourself. It will provide you the biggest return. Once you've done that, go find the thing to invest in. Yeah. Yeah, that yep. that's the I think that's the best advice and that's what you're that's what you're talking about. Today there's just, there's no excuse for it because everything is available at your computer, at your fingertips. Well, yes it is. And I think, you know, I mean we this isn't the time to talk about this, but I mean sales team development has just moved on so far in the we've seen more changes in the field of sales personnel, sales team development in the last 18 to 24 months than we've seen in the previous 50 years. I mean, everything's moving online, it's continual, it's little and often, it's relevant. The days of turning up for a two- to three-day training course and being given a rainforest full of course notes, frankly, that's consigned to the the annals of history. That isn't the way to train salespeople. And, you know, fortunately, you know, the, the greater percentage of companies are waking up to that. Let's move on to challenge number three, customer retention. And I was kind of surprised to see this on the list. I don't know why, but but you put it in your top three. So tell us more about that. Well, yes. I mean, for me, the reasons are very, very obvious. 
What we're very good at as salespeople, we're very good at what I call the courting stage. You could call it the foreplay stage if you like. It's we're very good at putting sort of investing in bringing new customers on board. We're very good at throwing resource at getting new clients on board or customers. But what we're not very good at globally is actually retaining customers. And so whilst we're putting all this effort at the front end, spending all this money, bringing them on board, they're actually dripping out at the back end. And the reason that they're dripping out at the back end is simply because we don't exactly ignore them, but we do, to a certain extent, take them for granted. We assume that if we've got a client on board, that they will always buy from us, that they're safe business. And that is far to be the truth. It's like any relationship. You have to keep working at it. The very best salespeople know when to treat an old relationship like a new one. We have to continually work to earn the right to everyone's business. And the role of customer focus is going to become even more vital, even more important as we move forward, simply because more and more business is going to be conducted online. So, for example, in, in the old days, clients and buyers would, and customers would rely on us for information. That's no longer the case. They don't need educating anymore. They're coming in so much further up the food chain now, so, so much further up the buying cycle. I mean, 80% I've heard quoted. So they're already educated when they come to speak to us. What they're looking for is not necessarily best price, but they're looking for best service, and they're looking for the most economical deal, shall we say, the best value for money that they can find. Now, logically, if you think that maybe as much as 80% of business within the next five years in the B2B environment is going to be conducted online, even major deals, then the role of the customer service personnel, technical support, et cetera, is just going to become absolutely vital. So you're saying, I just want to catch that for a second, hmm. 80% B2B sales moving online. Yeah, within the next five years. Wow. I would venture to say that most people aren't prepared for that. <laughs> well, I think you're absolutely right, Jim. There is always a danger as a commentator that you can stick your head over the parapet and you're going to make, <laughs> you're going to make statements and forecasts and people are going to laugh. But I don't have a problem with that. I mean, they're not necessarily going to laugh, but I mean, they're going to, they're going to dispute it simply because it doesn't suit their purpose. What we're saying to sales training companies is, look, you know, what you're going forward, you're evangelizing about outside sales. You're training people to sell in external roles face-to-face. But the reality is, in with three to five years, a lot of those roles are going to become extinct, which kind of goes back to, the, to that first interview we did. But, yeah, that's the reality. And, I mean, look, let me give you some examples, Jim. When was the last time you went to a petrol station and got served by a petrol pump attendant? Yeah. Jonathan, I'm on the same page with you. I wanted to stop and capture that because it was such an important comment because it feeds into what you're saying of the focus to customer retention. For example, we're coming up on the holiday season, and I guarantee you that I will not visit a store. Yeah. Uh, it will, and, and the stuff that gets sent to the people I want to give gifts to will arrive, and it will arrive already wrapped. 
ready to go. And I don't think we can ignore the fact that as the consumer world has jumped wildly on this and we accept that as norm there seems to be a disconnect that when we when we show up at our offices in the morning we think, well that doesn't apply to us those people buying those christmas presents online surely aren't going to expect the same kind of thing when they come to work mm. and reality is they are so yeah. you're saying is that we're really ill prepared to handle the customer retention it takes to maintain those type of relationships in that environment Yes, I think so. Um, but, but it's, you know, certainly here in Europe, it's getting better. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, we talk mainly about B2B, but actually what's happening in B2C is, is quite advanced compared with our, the way that we're selling. You will find, uh, certainly in Europe, and I, I believe in, in North America too, all of the retailers are complaining about the disappearing customer. They're saying that footfall rates are, are dipping alarmingly. What's most interesting, nearly all of those vendors are absolutely delighted with the increase in their online figures. And you just, you just gave perfect examples. You're not going to do Christmas shopping. Let me tell you, neither am I. I mean, I know I can get all my decorations. I know I can get all my food. I can get my wine. I can get absolutely all my presents. I can get everything I want from the comfort of my own study. So why am I going to put up with all those, you know, all those masses of people and going into war down the high street on a Saturday afternoon just before Christmas when I don't need to? But the point is this, though, Jim. This will extend right across to B2B sales. It's already happening. So as we see the migration from outside sales to inside sales, and we see the inside sales professionals taking on board more sophisticated skills, and by using video conferencing and all the other technology that's available to us, frankly, again, I use the term, it's a no-brainer, because it's all down to finances. Rather than sending out a team of experienced negotiators to go face-to-face with a client five or six times during the course of a typical buying or selling cycle, if three or four of those calls can be handled online without the flight cost or the car cost or the train cost, it makes complete sense. What you're doing is automatically all of that savings in cost is going straight to the bottom line and improving the gross margin. Yeah, and I want to share a story, too, that supports this for, again, for the people out there that may think that what Jonathan's talking about is too futuristic. In Des Moines, Iowa, where where I'm based, there's a group that puts on these business luncheons, and it's really for the entrepreneur uh, type of business owner and providing you know guest speakers to talk about a myriad of business topics. The one they've invited back twice now in the last three months is a gentleman who started a company in Des Moines who made the conscious decision never to make a sales call outside the four walls. He said, when I started the company, he said, we made a conscious decision not to go make sales calls. And he says, now, he says, it's a little, you know, hard to resist when Heineken calls you from Holland and they want to see your stuff and they invite you to the Heineken plant he says, we all want to go because we like the product and we'd like to travel. He says, but when you consider the cost of not making a sale, we figure to become cost prohibitive. Now, this gentleman started in little Des Moines, Iowa, and he sells internationally now, and he has never left the building, ever. And now he's selling internationally. And his point being is, which I've never heard this phrase before, 
He said, I figured out what it would cost me not to make a sale. Yeah. Now, and so my point is we may be stuck in our paradigm of our the way things have been done in the past in our current business model, but the people who are starting new today and actually have something of value to sell are selling this stuff with never without even seeing anybody. All right. Now, which leads into our fourth challenge, ties nicely into this, the challenge of controlling costs, which is, is an ongoing challenge. But why is it particularly important over the next 12 months? Well, I think, you see, if, if, we, go back, if we go back to this sort of nominal five-year period that we've all experienced and we've come through, I mean, a terrible time for many companies. So many people, people that I know too, extremely good friends, made redundant, companies going under and still going under. And you think about that and you think, okay, well, was the answer to get rid of your most prized and valuable asset, the salespeople? And that's what's happened in a lot of companies. They've kept administration numbers the same. They've kept technical departments the same. But because the salespeople were the most expensive personnel on board, they actually put them out the door. And in my opinion, that was short-sighted. And it, what, it, what that tells me is that so many companies are not keeping a tight handle on cost. Now, when people make a sale, okay, well, let me just say this, first of all, let me, let, let, let me say this. This is what I think. I don't think anybody should ever doubt that a successful formula, the successful formula for any company looking to survive today, let alone thrive, is to constantly look at ways to reduce costs while increasing profits. And the emphasis there is on profit, not revenue. I mean, a very wise old mentor of mine, a, a very, very dear friend, was a keen golfer. And he once said to me, Jonathan... We always drive for revenue, but we putt for profit. And how right he was. You see, it's a fallacy to believe that the responsibility for ensuring that an organization's financial health and stability lies solely with those gray men in accounts. It doesn't. I believe that every individual in an organization, if they care for the survival of that organization, has a part to play. And that is especially the sales team. Again, you know, I'll use that expression, the engine room of any firm. Because, you know, we keep using that cliche, and I will keep using it. Nothing actually does happen until we sell or somebody buys something. Now, I think our role as salespeople is to maximize the profitability of every single deal. And that means examining the true cost. And I'll tell you what I mean by true cost. See, net margin is not simply selling price less buying price. That's a fallacy. True profitability takes into account all of the costs associated with creating the lead in the first place. It allows for all the pre-sales meetings, including qualification, all the face-to-face presentations, all the negotiations. These are all, all of them, are time-consuming and cost-bearing activities. Then there's the value we've got to place on after-sales support or technical input or implementation or installation. It's only when we've got a true handle on all of those costs can we actually calculate the real and true cost of every sale. And it's only then when we understand that can we begin to improve our profitability. And, you know, uh, we're going to talk shortly about sales leadership, but I tell you, 
so much of this cost control is down to sales leadership. We can't expect the grey men in accounts to do anything other than present us with reports and give us best advice, either that we're spending too much, we're spending too little. But they don't have the control to drive revenue. The grey men are fairly helpless when it comes to that. Well, that leads us right into uh, our fifth and final challenge facing our organizations over the next 12 months, and that's leading from the front. And it's talking about our sales managers today. So why is that particularly a challenge? Well, I I think the role of sales manager, Jim, is absolutely pivotal in in any organization. What we do know is the average tenure of a sales manager today is less than two years. And actually, if the manager was promoted within because they were the most successful salesperson on the team, the average duration comes down to just 18 months. Now, I find those statistics quite shocking, but I'm surprised. And because I think this role now has become the least secure role in any organization today. Now, I don't think, and I I mean, I have given this a huge amount of thought, as you can imagine. I don't think there is one single reason. I think there's a whole host of them. I think the the responsibility has got to be shared equally, shared equally between employers and individuals. Because, you know, and I'm going to ban my thoughts on this fully in the white paper, but I would say this, if you show me an underperforming sales team, I'll show you an incompetent, poorly trained, and inadequate sales manager. And again, I'd say this, you know, this role has now become absolutely critical. And we've got to focus on it. We've got to to give it more and more of our attention. It's the tipping point in any sales organization. You, You said right upon it is that you and I both know our good friend Dave Curlin. Yes. And... The performance group, which is the company that I own and operate, use his products in terms of evaluating salespeople. And yeah. one of those is the evaluation of a, of a sales leader in the five critical areas of coaching, recruiting, mentoring, training, and growing, and how yeah. competent are your leaders in that area. And I've seen it time and time again. My point is, Dave Curlin, as well as my own experience, we have the documented evidence that what you're talking about is absolutely true. In other words, we have done assessments on sales teams, and we can compare a group of salespeople reporting to one leader, and we can demonstrate why they're actually performing. We compare them to another sales team, another sales leader, why they're underperforming, and 99% of the time, it comes back to the sales leader, not the salespeople. It is the tipping point. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, well, you probably know Jim. David Dave Cowan's a very good friend, and, and we also use objective management group systems assessments, of course. Yep. And, and I'm, you know, I, I evangelize. Of course I do. I evangelize about the need for companies to take a professional approach to recruiting, you know, their sales leaders. And, you know, I've written extensively on the fact that, you know, just because you're a great salesman, in fact, I posted on my blog last week, so you're a great salesman, you know, what makes you a great sales manager? Or what makes you think you're going to be a great sales manager? Because you're probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, there's a difference between generating revenue, which which is what a salesperson does, and driving revenue, which is what a sales manager does. Well, I think, the, yeah, and I think one of the biggest differences, when you're a salesperson, you're only responsible for yourself. Okay, you're responsible for your own margin, your own revenue, and your own salary, and, you know, achieving your own quota. All of a sudden, when you make that step and you, you stride across that chasm, 
you're into something completely different. You're into brand new territory, and and all of a sudden you've got all these all these other people who who actually are going to be responsible for your success. So you're looking at this group of people, and your success is down to them. They're either going to make you successful, or they're going to make you a failure. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that, and we just recapped with Jonathan the five challenges he foresees going into the next year and over the next 12 months, and if you put some focus behind those, you can have a better December, or be ending next year better than you ended this year. So Jonathan, you've talked about these five challenges, and there's a white paper available. Tell our audience how they can access that or when it will be available. Yes, of course. I mean, I don't think – I should just add this caveat, uh, Jim. I, I don't think people should go away imagining that there are only five challenges. But the reality is I like, I, you know, I like a simple life, and, and I've identified these as being the five most critical. And I must put some emphasis on the word critical. If we can get these five right, then we stand a better than even chance of being, having or being very successful or having a very successful 2013. The white paper will be available from December the 31st. And very easy, you, you'll find it very easily. Just go over to my consultancy site, and that is very simply www.jonathanfarrington.com. The white paper is free to download. I do hope people will make the most of it and use it wisely. One last thing I'd like to touch on, Jonathan, is all the other things you're involved with that could help a sales professional, and that's your top sales award. So talk to our audience, your work around that. Yeah, I mean, Top Sales Awards is just one of the initiatives that now comes under the, is part of the new Top Sales World site. We took the decision eight weeks ago to bring all of our Top Sales initiatives under one big roof. So under that, you know, when, when you go to topsalesworld.com, you'll find Top Sales Management specifically for sales leaders because we want to play our part in developing them. You'll find Top Sales Awards, you'll find the monthly magazine. There's a whole host there. But the awards that you mentioned, I mean, I should sort of highlight those really you know we took a decision three years ago to to try and create an event an annual event whereby we recognize and award reward all of the people who are giving the salespeople the tools and the advice that they need so in other words the top sales bloggers the people that write articles every day the people that are providing software solutions these are the people that are giving the salespeople, all of the weapons that they need to go out there and win the war. As I say, we took the decision that we wanted to recognize them and lord their performance. So we do that every year. And then the live online ceremony, which I co-host with Gerhard from Selling Power, this year is on December the 18th. And it's free to attend. It's always a lot of fun. Um, Gerhard and I feed off each other. But again, you'll find all the details of that over at topsalesworld.com. And Jonathan, I, I just recently celebrated a birthday, and I took some time to just write down some of the top things that I think I've learned over the last year, and I thought that was an interesting exercise. So I'll ask you my final question of the day. If you reflect back on the past year, what's the one piece of advice that you would pass along to as we start the new year for our sales professionals? That's a very, very good question. For me personally, the most powerful thing that I've managed to persuade so many of my colleagues, I mean, my, you mentioned my network earlier in this call. I'm 
started building my network. I'm, I'm not a compulsive networker, um, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very choosy networker. And I think my network's now about 250, 300 people who, whose advice I value and who I admire because of their work or the work that they're doing to continually raise the bar in the sales space. But I, I did discover when I first sort of ventured on online, really, in, in any presence in 2005, people weren't collaborating. People were sort of over in their little space, keeping everything they got to themselves. And I hope what I've given, if there's anything that I've given to the sales space so far, it's that the, the value of collaboration, and it's, it's, it's what I call getting it. It's being able to give willingly rather than thinking about taking and, you know, I will say this to you. My mother told me, gave me so much valuable advice when I was growing up. One thing she did say to me is whatever you give out in life, whether it's good or bad, it will come back tenfold, which is obviously advice based loosely on as you sow, so shall you reap. But that is so, so true. And I think my, my, the one thing I've learned is, you know, if you really believe in something, you really want something bad enough, you will make it happen. And collaboration is, has, has just made all of that so much easier for me. So collaborate, share, and get it. Well, thank you for doing that and demonstrating that today by being on our program. Thanks very much, Jim. Again, it, it's been a pleasure. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.